Lord, you are here, and we are here to meet you, to hear you, to be fed by you, and to be filled with the Spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I read a story about a Jewish congregation who spent a good bit of time arguing about the Shema prayer. Does everybody know what the Shema prayer is? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, you might think that it's hard to find something to argue over in that. However, every time they said it, which was every service, half the people sat to say it, and half the people stood to say it. So, the people who were sitting fussed at the people who were standing and said, that's not right. And the people who were standing fussed at the people who were sitting and said, you're not supposed to sit for that prayer. And the rabbi was going crazy. I mean, he heard this all the time. So finally, he had no decision for him. So finally, they came up with the idea of going to this very elderly rabbi and asking him about it. So they go in to see this very elderly rabbi, and the first group, the standers, say to him, is it a tradition to stand when we say the Shema? And he says, no, it is not a tradition. Now, think about the sitters. They're already thinking, okay, we're winning here. So the sitters say, to the rabbi, well then, is it a tradition to sit while we say the Shema? And the rabbi says, no, it is not a tradition. Now, the rabbi that they came with said, they do this all the time. It's driving me crazy. They argue back and forth. And the little old rabbi said, yes, that is the tradition. (laughs) So, how often do we find that? You know, who doesn't like to be right? Anybody here that wants to be wrong? No, we all want to be right. We all want to be right. So, um, you know, it's hard. You've got to be in relationships with people who don't agree with you. So how do we manage that? We all want to do it our way. You know, I always love the... Burger King, was it Burger King? Have it your way, however you want it. Um, so, what's the problem here? As the first century church begins to expand, they are going to have to learn a different way of doing things. They are going to have to open their hearts and minds to a new experience. They're going to have a lot of issues that come up that will take make them take a new direction or having to compromise things. So today's gospel takes us back to Maundy Thursday. 
And Jesus gives the great commandment. He says, this is the last commandment I'm going to give you. This is the big one. This is the mandate. Love one another as I have loved you. Then the people will know you're my disciples if you love one another like I loved you. Okay, no problem there. How many of us love like Jesus? And how hard is that to love like Jesus? Anybody here love like Jesus? I wish I could say that that was the case for me, but he's saying, you know, love one another as I have loved you. What does that look like? Well, it's a sacrificial kind of love. It's a love that um, doesn't demand on its own way all the time. And personally, I spent some time wondering, do I know anyone who loves like Jesus? Not that I don't think you all love one another. But, you know, I came up with people like maybe Mother Teresa or one of the mystics, you know, someone like that. But it's not generally seen. So... The disciples are going to have to wrestle with this problem. And they're going to have to wrestle with it more than just in today's readings. They're going to have to wrestle with it over a great number of years. So our Acts passage today is an interesting story because Luke gives the exact same story twice in chapter 10. And chapter 11. In chapter 10, he tells us what is happening. And in chapter 11, it's recounted, which tells us that Luke thinks this is an important, incredibly important story. So what's happening? So, Peter has been praying. And he's in Joppa. He's been praying. And while he's praying, he sees a vision. And in this vision, a large sheet comes down. It's basically held on four corners. And on the sheet are all kinds of what the Jewish population would have said are unclean animals. I'm sure there were pigs on that sheet. So this sheet comes down, and the voice says to Peter, Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter knows this is a vision from God because he says, Lord, look, I've never eaten this stuff, and I'm not going to start now. I am not doing it. And the Lord says to him, Peter, don't call things unclean. There's going to be a new understanding of what this is. Now, meanwhile, in Caesarea, a man named Cornelius has been praying. And Cornelius is an officer. He's a soldier. So traditionally not one of the most popular people with the Jewish Nation, but he's there praying. He's, scripture tells us he's a godly man. And so he's praying. And when he's praying, 
he hears a voice speak to him, and it says, Send to Caesarea for Peter. And he does. He gathers people from his household, his servants, and he sends them out. He trusts that this is God speaking to him. And he sends them out, and he sends them to Peter. And so they arrive, and Peter greets them, and it tells us that the Spirit tells Peter to go. Peter doesn't just make up his mind that, oh, this might be an interesting adventure. No, the Spirit tells him that he is to go, and he takes with him six companions. Why six companions? Because if you were going to testify to something at this period of time in history, you needed six people who would confirm what you were saying as true. So I couldn't just come in and tell you anything and have you necessarily believe me. It needed, particularly if it was something unusual, it needed six people to confirm it. So Peter goes to the household, and Cornelius has told him, you know, God told me to send for you. And as soon as Peter starts to speak, what happens? The spirit falls on these people. And they are all, I mean, the whole household is, it's craziness. The spirit has fallen on these people. And Peter's got to be thinking, what is going on here? This is not what I expected. But he realizes that if God has allowed his spirit to fall on these people, something new is happening. Remember that sheet that came down with the unclean items on it? The Jews considered the Gentiles unclean. They were not people that you interacted with. And Peter is going to share a meal with them. Now, um, Peter shares this meal, and I don't know how in Jerusalem they hear about this this quickly. They didn't have internet. They did not text. But before Peter ever gets back, the brothers in Jerusalem know that this has happened. And they are aghast that this has happened. Because Peter's eating with a Gentile was not only outrageous, it caused Peter to be unclean because he had associated with them. So they're all in a fuss about this. Why on earth would this happen? What are they going to do about it? How are they going to deal with Peter? I mean, you can just imagine the conversations that are going on among the insiders here when Jesus gets back. I mean, when Peter gets back. And so Peter gives them the same thing. He says, look, I was there. This is what happened to me. These unclean animals came down. God told me not to call anything unclean. I went to the Gentiles. The Spirit fell on them. Who am I to deny what God has done? 
Now, this is going to be challenging for a lot of the traditional Jewish community. They're going to have to figure out how to stretch their boundaries to include these, quote, outsiders, and they're going to have to redefine their identity as apostles and believers. So think about it. Without the Spirit being poured out on these Gentiles, what would have happened? Without that inclusion of them, the followers of Jesus would have become likely just a sect of, Jeru- of Judaism. You know, they still worshipped at the temple. They still kept the food restrictions. They still followed the law. But when the Spirit falls on the Gentiles, they are going to have to realize that God is up to something even bigger than they expected. So, was this easy for them? No. Old habits die hard. You know the old saying, we've always done it this way. We have always done it this way. Well, now we're not going to always be able to do it that way. So it's just like that battle that they had over the Shema. Should we sit? Should we stand? Or should we just argue about it? There was a good bit of arguing about all of these things in the early church. They had to learn to change. So, and they're going to have to remember this commandment. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. Hmm. What does that look like for for this Jewish leadership? How do they do that? It means they're going to have to be willing to spread their tent to encompass other people, to invite other people in, to welcome people, to change how they look at things, to change their understanding where they thought they were the only people of God. They were the favorites. And now all these Gentiles are coming in and they're going to be favorites too? I mean, really? It's It's a big stretch. So, We, too, need to remember that commandment. We, too, need to be able to spread out and welcome in new people, people who maybe haven't done it the way that we do it, people who have different ideas, people who are searching for God. See, the real hero in this passage, the real hero is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit falls, lives are changed, and people are empowered. It still happens today. The Holy Spirit's right here, right now, touching people, drawing them together, drawing them in, and it's imploring us to reach out, to share God, to love like Jesus, to share that love with people we come in contact with. It's going to cause us to have new ideas. It's going to cause us to have to expand our boundaries sometimes. 
It has to mean that we would be willing to let our hearts be changed. Maybe I don't know the right way to do it all the time or the best way. Maybe I have to listen to others and let the spirit, the community, fall and change you and me. Think about how Jesus loved. We read the times when people turned away from him and the grief he felt. Remember how he wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if I could just gather you in. And they were unwilling to be gathered. And Jesus wept over Jerusalem. But think about the joy he had in the crowds that followed, the crowds that listened, the crowds that reached out to touch him. You see, love, and that was what Jesus excluded, what am I trying to say? Just kind of expelled love. It just, just poured out of him. Exuded was the word I was looking for. He exuded love. And what happens when you do that? People are drawn to you. People are drawn in. I remember a friend that I had once in Curcio. She wasn't somebody I ever knew before. But I always liked to be around her because she just, her face just shone with the love of God. To be with her was to feel special. So love That inviting in is a great joy, but it's also tough, also tough, because it means that we sometimes have to redefine who we are or what we believe. We have to give up my way of doing it or our way of doing it. But what put Jesus on the cross? Love for humanity. Love. He reached out. So Jesus challenged us challenges us today with this commandment, love one another as I have loved you. Can we do that? I am not sure that any of us are able to love as fully and completely as Jesus. But I think we can move in that direction. Every day we can move a little closer to loving like this. But it means that we put aside petty differences, how we do things. Okay, let me adjust and I can, I can do something else. Maybe we spend less time defending our opinions and more time hearing the opinions of other people. But if we do that, we're likely to reap amazing results. I was out, uh, my husband has been out of town this weekend, and um, at his 60th high school reunion, imagine how much fun that was for me going to his 60th high school reunion. (laughs) I don't know these people. But anyway, we actually did have more fun than I expected. But so I'm out early this morning, 7 o'clock, walking our dog, which is usually his job on Sunday, but we all have to adjust. And I come across this little man. I think he might have been Spanish, on a bike, carrying a bag of what looked like clothes, was like a Publix bag, and wearing a hat. And the hat said in big, bold letters, Jesus is my boss. And I thought, wow, 
let's get those hats. <laughs> Where did he find that? I mean, I've never seen another one like it. But I think that's what Jesus is calling us to, to letting go and loving one another. And I, I have to say, this church is full of love. I don't know that I've ever been in a church where I've seen so much love and connectivity between the nucleus of the church. But we're going to have to expand our boundaries. We're going to have to reach out and bring in other people. And that's going to stretch us. And we may not agree with them. But that's what love is. Love is letting go, inviting in, learning from one another, and accepting people where they are. That's our prayer for us this week, that we learn to move towards loving like Jesus. Okay. Amen.